This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. When your kids were with you, or they are with you, that's the center, that's the focus. There's something about kids that enables them to uh, fully engage with the joy of Christmas. They, they just, they can soak it for all it's worth. And there's something about adults, hmm, that can just drain all the joy out of Christmas and turn it into a drudgery and a hassle. What is wrong with us? So I thought maybe in the next couple of weeks as we kind of move into Christmas, maybe it would help us if we tried to see Christmas, tried to think a little bit more like a child. Not childish. Some of us have got that down. But, but childlike. Childlike. If you have a Bible, open it to Mark chapter 10. Um, you know, there's a powerful passage in the Gospels, um, this story, when uh, the, Jesus has been teaching, and you've got to get into the mindset of the disciples, like they thought this guy was the, the guy they were looking for, this was their new political leader, this is the new re- revolutionary, they're going to finally build a group so big that they can kick Rome off, and, and you know, they, they, just something's, they know something big is happening, and here he is doing his job, he's teaching, and he's influencing people. And the disciples are working the crowd and maintaining a security line and, and uh, vetting everybody who gets in. And suddenly, all these parents bring their kids. They want them to be blessed by Jesus, touched by Jesus. And the disciples are like, whoa, 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 stop. Get those snotty little germ factories away. Put them, that's why I'm sick, by the way, my granddaughter. I love her. She has to eat off Papa's plate and then feed Papa, and then feed herself, same spoonful. <clears throat> it was so cute at the time. <clears throat> I've been dying all week. That's why when we sang, it was like an octave lower. <sighs> anyway, so the disciples stop all these kids. Stop! We are way too busy. We're doing important stuff. And Jesus hears this. Hey, what are you doing? Don't stop these kids from coming to me. In fact, we'll read it, uh, starting in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. It's a strong word. And he said to them, let the, little, let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a small child will not enter it. Wow. Maybe all of us should learn to think more like a child. Whatever you think that means. Yeah. Now, um, I, I appreciate uh, Life Church out uh, in the Midwest. Uh, they, they've, they've got the little logo, and they did a series like this, and so it's great because we, we couldn't make a video like that. But when you listen to videos of uh, children telling, right? You ever listen to a child try to tell a, Christ, uh, a Bible story? It's so different, and it's so simple. And often, they skip right to the part that they think is important. And that's so powerful. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to 
we're going to be looking at theology, but we're going to do it the way a child might. And so really today we're going to look at the fact that God is good, but the way a child would say it is probably, my God is for me. It's on my side. My God is for me. Then we'll look at the fact that God is omnipresent. My God is with me. And then we'll look at the fact that God is a God of grace. My God forgives me. And Christmas Eve, we'll talk about the fact that God is omnipotent, all-powerful. My God can do anything. My God is bigger than your God. My, my God can beat up your God. My God can do anything. My God is with me. God's good. Now, if you're honest, um, when you were a child, you probably sort of thought that. It, it seems natural that the children just kind of assume that God's on their side, that God's for them. <clears throat> and then somewhere along the way, something starts to happen. Something doesn't go well. I remember I tried out for a part in a play, and I kind of said, whoever's up there, please don't let them cast me, because the costumes were dorky looking, and I got a part, and I had to stand up there and sing, and I thought, you're not, you're not on my side. M maybe you pray that you do well in school, or maybe you pray that, that your dog gets better, and it doesn't, or maybe you, get, you pray that Parents don't split up, but they do. Or maybe you say, God, everybody's mean to me at school, and, and uh, please help me, and it doesn't seem to get better. And, but whatever it is, a child who used to think, well, God's on my side, can easily get to the point where I'm not sure anymore. Taken to its, to its max, it might sound a little bit something like, like this. This young man, Kyle grew up in church his whole life. But this is what he posted on Facebook a while back. You can't force me to believe that God is good. This is the one truth in life. It's full of the positive chance. How can I believe that God will use my life? I know with certainty that God has left me. Never again will I say that Christ is risen from the dead. I know now more than ever in my life that man can save himself. He must realize that it's ignorance to think God answers prayers. Christians declare that without God, this world would fall into darkness. This world can and will meet my needs. It is a lie to say God has always been there for me. I now realize that no matter what I do, truth is, he doesn't love me. How can I presume that God is for me? Aren't you encouraged? Hmm. And yet, as sad as that is, that's what happens, not just to young people, but to adults as well. Somewhere along the line, we start out by thinking God's good, that he's on our side, he's for me, but then our experience sometimes seems to say something different. It's no wonder, it's no wonder that the wonder has gone out of Christmas. Because it's not at all about wonder. It's about merchandising and buying and, 
and meeting or not meeting people's ex expectations and, and, and going through the motions and then somehow paying for it when you're done. Because if you buy into that feeling, there's nothing beyond the, uh, the surface activity. Well, today, we're not going to take a long time. This is not a really deep philosophical conversation. Instead, I just want to look at a couple of passages where, where God reminds us that he is actually for us. And then before we're done, I hope, you're going to see that when we choose to believe that that's true, it really completely transforms the way we live. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. This is a, probably one of the most familiar passages, and, and if you don't have it on a little memory card or written or highlighted in your Bible, you probably should. What a great passage of promise. Jeremiah 29, it's page 780 if you're using a borrowed Bible. Starting in verse 11, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God says this over and over again in the scriptures, that he has a plan. He, has a, he had a plan for Israel. He had a plan for the Apostle Paul. He had a plan for the rest of the disciples. He, he knows about your life. And he knows how to bless. He wants to bless. Now, if there's one thing we learn from the Christmas stories, it's that sometimes when God intervenes and shows up, at first, instead of being excited, we're, we're terrified, right? Think about those that receive those angels. Mary, uh, I talked about this at the, at the tree lighting last night. Mary or Joseph or the shepherds, every time God shows up to give this great announcement, the first thing that the angel has to say is, fear not, because it's terrifying. Think about what it meant for Mary. Wait, I mean, I'm glad that God's going to work in my life, but I'm going to have a baby? I'm a virgin. I'm not even married. What's going to this? This sort of ruins all my plans. And what we learn is that sometimes God's plan is inconvenient. But he has purposes beyond what we know. Can you imagine if Mary would have said thanks but no thanks? Or Joseph, ready to give up on marrying Mary, put her away quietly, and the angel says, wait, 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 fear not. It's okay to marry her because the baby born will be the king of kings. But what was he afraid of? What people are going to say? What people are going to think? Truth is, being afraid of what people think is the fastest way to forget how God thinks. If, if you're not ready to be criticized because you're doing God's will, you're probably not ready to be used by God. Even the shepherds, right? Bunch of homeless hooligans. They smelt bad. They were outside of society, and that was fine. Society liked it that way. They smelled funny. Maybe you're sitting next to somebody like that today. 
right? They're just, I mean, they're following sheep. They're just weirdos. They felt unwelcome, unvalued, unloved, unworthy, inadequate. But the angel appeared to them. Why? Because those things don't matter to God. He brought that message to them first. And what does he say? Fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy for all people, including shepherds. You know, throughout the entire Christmas story, if there's one thing we learn, it's this. That very often, God's extraordinary acts start with ordinary acts of obedience. God's extraordinary acts, the, the big stuff, often start with little stuff. Ordinary obedience. Everyday obedience. God has a plan for you. In Romans 8, uh, turn to Romans chapter 8. This is so good. Paul writing to the Romans, and he, he's building this theological case. But in, in, in verse, uh, I'm sorry, let's start in verse 31. In Romans 8, I said 11, I don't know why. Oh, because it carried it over. What shall a man say? Uh, what shall we say to this, he says? Is, if God is for us, who is against us? If God is in your corner, then who are you worried about? We live in a society that's full of power players, right? Well, what if you had one of these rich and famous people as an uncle or an aunt or a cousin or a friend? We have God for us, he says. Then who in the world can be against us? How do we know that God is for us? Verse 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things in him? If he didn't hold back his son, what will he hold back? He's for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, you say, or distress? Wow, that's really weak. Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? I don't even want to think about that. Or peril? Or sword? No, nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. He has a plan. He wants good for us. He wants us engaged with his very best plan. I think that's probably the best way to think about it. It's not so much that he has a plan for us. He wants us to be involved with his best plan. He's always calling us, inviting us to be a part of his best plan. Every time we go out on our own, we are settling for second, third, fourth, fifth best. He says, I am doing something great. Come be a part of it. Knowledge like this will change your life in a couple of really simple ways. When I realize that God is for me, I don't run from God anymore. I run to God. How much energy have we spent at times kind of hiding from God, sort of pretending like and just, you know, in Genesis, remember Adam after he ate the fruit and God walks the garden, he's looking for Adam and what did Adam do? He hid. People still do that today. But once you realize God is for you, you don't hide from God even when you've failed. I know what it feels like. Sit down, you're supposed to kind of talk to God and the first few minutes are so awkward. And the only way we get through that, that confession process, is to, is to know, 
wait, 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 Mike, I'm for you. Clean this up. I'm for you. I'm not looking to rub your nose in it. I want to get this fixed. I'm for you. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. God is a refuge that we run to because he's for us. He's not against us. Secondly, once I realize that God is for me, <clears throat> I don't live for God's approval. I live from God's approval. That makes all the difference in the world. Psychologists tell us, and you've probably noticed it, that most of us subconsciously live playing our life, imagining that our life is being played in front of a kind of an invisible jury box. And we're the ones who put the people in that jury box, and they're passing judgment. I don't know who's in your box. Now, my parents are in the box. My sister's in the box. A couple other people in the box. People that, that I just, and my, my parents have been dead for years, but they're still in my jury box. And, and I'm kind of aware, like, and you, you, you get that sense of whether they're approving or disapproving, which is kind of tough if you've got to win somebody's approval and they're dead. It's a problem. I, sometimes I have to consciously empty that jury box and put Jesus in there and say, that's really it. It's all I need. And he's alive. It's so good. In Romans 5.8, it says that God demonstrates his own love toward us in, that, in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. How many people do you know who imagine that, yes, God would be good, and as soon as you start turning to him, as soon as you give him some inkling that things are good, you're ready to change, then he'll meet you halfway. Isn't that good of God? He wants to give you a chance. You just got to get the ball started. And yet nothing could be further from the truth of the gospel. Which is, he loved us when we were still enemies. Not neutral. Not ignorant. Enemies. And he still loved us. Maybe you've been in a situation where there's somebody that you love that you have become enemies somehow. I have adult children. I know how that works. And yet, if you've experienced that, you know, even though there's all this animosity, my love for you has never changed. If we can experience that, how much more God? Thirdly, if, when I realize that God is for me, I don't, and this is important nowadays, I think, I don't, I'm not afraid, I don't fear what happens to me because I know God's working in me. Again, last night at tree lighting, our theme was fear. I just said, you know, maybe there's an elephant in the room these days. With all of these things that are going on, all this, all these, all this violence, it's just nuts. And you would have to be uh, kind of weird if you haven't heard some of that and it hasn't troubled you. But you see, when I realize that God is for me, when God is for you, when you realize that, you don't have to be afraid of what happens to you. And the reason is because God is working in and through you. And you realize that God could use you in a situation regardless of what's happening. Listen to Romans 8. Now, this is one of those passages that if you haven't memorized it, you probably should. 
Romans 8.28 says that, and we know that all things work for good. God works for good to those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Philippians 2 says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God is at work. And so if something inconvenient happens, if something painful happens, if something unexpected happens, we can stop and go, huh, well, because God is for me, there's not a chance that he doesn't know about this. He's definitely working in me. I wonder what he wants to do through this. Now, as a pastor, very often I sit with people during the most difficult times in their lives. And it's an honor to watch some people go through difficult times. Others don't handle it so well. It's okay. It's hard. But I watched a, a man. He was a father. He was a relatively young father when he got the diagnosis of cancer. And this cancer, although uh, this was several years ago, and they're making advancements all the time, it's rare these days that a cancer diagnosis is like death sentence immediately. But, but his was significant. The type of cancer that he had, we're talking six to eight months time frame. I was with him within, I guess it was 48 hours after he got that diagnosis. And I watched him look, he, he, look, he looked right at a couple of us that were there and he says, I, I can't wait to see what it is God wants to do through this. I was ready to give my whole life for him, but if he wants to take it all in one big chunk, I sure hope it makes an impact. Later I said, you, you, you must struggle some. And he said, I, I don't want to be dishonest, but I mean, God's done so much in my life. I'm going to be one of those people that you talk about. And guess what? I'm talking about him. <clears throat> he changed my life. Every time I sit with anyone, a difficult time, I think, what happens when I'm there? And I say to myself, I want to be like him. I want to be like Doug. I want to say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'll bet you it's going to be big. We don't have to be afraid of what, God, what happens to us because we know already God is working in us. And that kind of perspective, knowing that God is for you, can change everything. In fact, it can even change a teenager's Facebook post. It's powerful. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the words are exactly the same, but the perspective has changed. Are you going to let that kid beat you? Surpass you? What would you do if you knew that God was completely on your side? He is. And knowing that, thinking like a child and simply taking it at face value, it won't just ch change your Christmas, bring wonder back into all that we celebrate. It'll change your whole life. Let's pray. So why don't you pause for a minute. Maybe find your 
child voice inside your head? God, do you like me? Are you mad at me or are you for me? Really? For me, no matter what? That's great. Then everything's going to be fine. Because you're for me. Lord Jesus, you showed us. You showed us when you came to earth as that baby. You showed us when you went to Calvary and suffered. You showed us when you were risen from the dead. And now, your spirit is at work, reminding us again of this truth. You would tell us, my Father loves you. He seeks you. So Jesus, help us to live with that kind of confidence and joy. And may our Christmas be filled with that sense of confidence and joy. This is going to be great because God is for me. We ask that you do that and that it would be a testimony to all that we see. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.